0: Hello and welcome to another podcast episode for Redeemer Church in Columbus, Mississippi. Our desire with these episodes is to provide quality content based on the material we're working through in our weekly core group meetings. We're striving to build a multi-demographic community of believers with the purpose of glorifying God through proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and resting in Christ. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. As the kids are dismissed and going to the back, um, we're going to be reading this catechism, which is the 14th one. Uh, We've seen 13 from the last few times. trying to trying to get to know that a little bit. But they're going to be looking at the 14th catechism, which says, Did God create us unable to keep his law? Which I think is a great question to ask as we look at the law and as they've discussed that in the weeks past, looking at the law and the difficulty of keeping the answer of this catechism is very simply, no, but because of this, the disobedience of Adam and Eve, we are all born in sin and hurt, unable to keep the law of God, be guilt, unable to keep the law of God. God did not create humanity unable to keep the law, but rather created us in a perfect state in Adam and Eve, and then when Adam and Eve chose to sin by rebelling against God, in doing so, we are now bent towards sin, therefore unable to keep the law, not by God's design, but by the sinfulness of man. So, that's just so you can kind of see what they're going to be looking at. David, if you could lower this volume a little bit, I will keep it near me. Okay, awesome. Hey, I am sorry for addressing this. i prefer it higher than it was, but I didn't get to raise up. And drop off, for sure. yeah. Okay. All right. So um, as long as I don't have to hold it, because when I hold a mic like this, I feel like a prosperity preacher. Um, it's kind of weird. Just not mine. All right. So this evening we're going to be looking at our uh, next sermon in the Book of Ruth, and in doing so, we're going to be looking at Chapter Three. And in Chapter Three, um, there's some words I think we're going to really need to understand even more, even though we've already addressed them. And though my older kids are the owners of the room, I want to point this out in this text uh, before you even get into any of these definitions. When you read the chapter three, there's um, it almost seems like sexual in windows meaning that it almost seems like a sexual intent in and in nature. Um, and though I think that was written that way on purpose, it's not necessarily the, the heart of what's going on here. And then even in that, we're going to see where both Boaz and Ruth their character shines through the possibility of living in an ungodly way, okay? Um, But we're going to see that, and there's a lot of things that come around that as we look at the Book of Ruth, because it is essentially a love story of these two unlikely individuals meeting each other and coming together in marriage. But just to kind of remember some things as we've been looking through this, um, as you kind of see on the screen, it says Redeemer, Provider, and Restorer. Uh, redeemer is not only in the name of our church, but it's the title of this sermon series. And the reason why it is, because that's the heart of what's going on in the book of Ruth, right? Is there's a redeemer that is going to provide for Ruth and Naomi, but there, he's also going to restore them. And in this uh, ideal, I think it's important to understand two words that kind of go with that word redeemer. The first one is the word redeem. Like, when you think of someone being redeemed, often you may be like me and you're thinking of someone that did something wrong or they uh, they redeemed themselves. I think about baseball players or football players that had a bad stretch or a bad few games and they redeemed themselves by doing better. And often we may use it in that way, but the word itself really means to buy back or purchase. To buy back or purchase, which is, exactly what Christ does for us. He purchased us from the wrath of God. There's also what we're going to see here. And then the second one, it kind of goes along with that same thing as Redeemer. It's this idea of the kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. And we're going to look at that word in this text. We're going to look at it next week in chapter 4. And we've seen it already, but it's going to be a little more prevalent in this sermon and next sermon. Uh, But a kinsman redeemer could be defined in one of two ways. It's a relative that has the right of redemption over a deceased relative's household or a man who was legally able to redeem his close relative's wife in order (coughs) to bring up sons for for the deceased lineage. The reason why I read both of these is in this story of next week, we're going to see these two ways of understanding what a redeemer was in two different characters no name man and Boaz so a kinsman redeemer essentially though is someone that provides for a dead relative, uh, a male relative that had died, wife, daughters or something of the such to make sure that their lenience would not go away alright and we've seen that already Naomi has made it clear to uh, Ruth that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer and she's going to do that even more in this text. so let's look at it together starting in verse 1. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whom whose young women you have you were. See, he is with winnowing barley tonight at the threshing food. Wash therefore and anoint yourself. And did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet to lay down. And at midnight the man was startled and turned over, behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "Who are you?" She answered. I am Ruth, your servant spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than that of that you were, have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask And for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, I am a redeemer yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. But arose before one could recognize another. He said, let it not be known. The woman came down in the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and measured six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law and said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her, all that the man had done for her saying these six measures of holy he gave to me and he said to me you must not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law she replied wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest but will settle this matter today heavenly father we love you and we thank you for this word god we thank you for the life of ruth and the longing, Boaz, that we pray that we do not look to them as heroes, but as one pointing to the hero that has saved us. And so as we approach this scripture today, God, let us be with this, let us walk away defeated, and let us walk away changed in a way that has caused us to live in life of your gospel. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this scripture, um, there's two things I want to point out before we jump too far into it or anything like that, but often when we read this story, of Ruth and Boaz meeting and falling in love, we we may be tempted to put it in the kind of the, the storyline of a princess movie. All right, so we think of the pretty blonde girl working in the field, famished. This big chiseled out cut man comes in, redeems her, kind of like Pocahontas kind of deal. Um, and then even when you see this on a cartoon, they still they put it this way uh, often. Uh, and then the Terrible, terrible movies that were just very badly produced that made a live action of this by some random church in the middle of nowhere, probably uh, did a very similar thing, right? Um, The issue, though, is there's two things that this tells us that these were not those people. So, first off, when you look in chapter 3, in about let's see, verse 10, he says, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first. In that you have not gone after young men or the poor or rich. So Boaz is an older guy, an older individual, probably well past marriage age. All right, so he's kind of admiring Ruth here by saying thank you. Thank you for uh, for not giving up on the older, right? And this is a theme of Ruth. But not only that, but when you read down in verse 15, it says, And he said, Bring the garments that you your wearing and hold it up. So she held it up, and he measured up six measures of barley and put it on her. Now, why is that significant? That's significant because six measures of barley would have been about 60 to 80, most likely 80 pounds of barley that she just carried throughout the town. So she wasn't this you no know, string. She was she wasn't um a large woman per se, but she wasn't that woman that you would think of this in this character, in this story. So we see these two unlikely characters that not only have met each other, but they're ones in which God is doing something amazing again. The reason why I say this is because all throughout the book of Ruth it's about a story of God working in the background in the normal, everyday life of people that are no different than you and I. One that was from a far land. One that was older but had went through something that caused him not to be married and later in life. This is a story where God himself is not directly doing anything in, in this story. God's not talking to a prophet. God's not talking to an individual anything of that nature. We just see normal, everyday occurrences unfolding in the life of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. We see tragedy. We see good things. We see bad things. We see hard things. But it's just normal everyday people that God is interacting with. And God is showing off his sovereignty, providing something greater to come. So I say all that to say is that when we look at this, last week what we saw was that God had provided for Ruth and Naomi in one of the ways that they had needed help. They needed a provider. As we saw on the original slide, that they needed a provider. Someone that would give them something to provide food for them. And we saw that Boaz was the one that stepped in and did this and took care of them by giving them above and beyond. But see, in the last part of chapter 2, verse 23, if you just want to look over in your Bible, says, So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, cleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, the last part. And she lived with her mother in law. See, in the chapter 2, one of the two things was accomplished. They were provided for but they had not been redeemed. They're still lacking. They're still need. Ruth is still in need of a Redeemer to provide for her in a, a longer period of time other than one harvest season. And in this week's text, what we're going to see is that the author is presenting this narrative Of these individuals in such a way that promotes the possibility of there being someone that would be the restorer. But as you saw when we were reading this together in the initial state, it wasn't necessarily Boaz that's going to be. Boaz actually drops this bomb in the middle of this proposal by a woman to a man in the middle of the night that there's someone that is closer to you as a relative that is actually your redeemer. He doesn't redeem you, I will. So the author is leaving this lingering thought of who is going to redeem Ruth? Is it going to be Boaz, this faithful, godly, good man that has already provided for? Or is it going to be some other random person that we know nothing about so far? As I said in the last few weeks, this was a narrative written to grab the attention of the people. And he's most certainly doing this throughout this chapter. But what we're going to see for us in this, it's the same thing for them, but it's the same thing for us, is that what we're going to see is that we are to rest in our Redeemer by trusting in him while living in the already not yet state of our salvation. Let me say that again. Is that we are to we are called to, or we should, rest in our Redeemer by trusting in him while living the already not yet state of our salvation the already not yet state of our salvation. We're going to see that in just a second, so the first thing is the rest of our De- Redeemer and so we are going to see that in verses 1 through 5 one through 5, we're going to see three things going on here it's actually said one through five, that's actually wrong it's one through six, I'm sorry, one through six and what we're going to see is three things going on here we're going to see Naomi's significant observation we're going to see Naomi's terrible advice. And we're going to see that Ruth seeks rest in her redeemer. So that is Naomi's significant observation, Naomi's terrible advice, that Ruth seeks out rest in her redeemer. So very first and foremost, the, the observation by Naomi is one, I think, that speaks volumes of her desire and her heart and her love for Ruth. But then we're going to look at two through four, and we're going to see how how backwards living in the land of the enemy is really called Naomi to be, okay? Um, and what I mean by that is in previous verses, we actually looked at um, how in the land they were from, the land they lived in, in uh, Moab, most likely the, the mother-in-law or the mother would try to seek out a husband or seek out a wife for their children. That wasn't the case here. And so we're gonna see that Naomi gives this wonderful observation. It's terrible advice to go along with it. That observation is found in verse 1. which says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, Naomi's overstepping here in some ways. But she sees something that's a reality in the life of Ruth. She sees that she's still missing part of the problem. They may have food in the pantry. They may have a substance to survive off her for a short season. And maybe even Boaz would be, would be thankful and loving and maybe just compassionate towards her that next barley season. But Naomi's one that grew up in hard times. So Naomi also realized that just because it happened once doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Fatima could hit again. And so Naomi realizes that Ruth is in need of her husband to rescue. As I've said before, this is a different time. This is not our generation. So, a woman without a husband was hopeless in a lot of ways. So, Naomi's observation is right on point. She realizes that only part of the need was being met. There was still something back to be met, there was still a hole there to be filled. That's what you get to the terrible advice. Look at verse 2. It says, It is not Boaz, is Boaz, not our relative. But those wrong women, you are. See, he is with, windowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your clothing. Go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. And then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. You know, earlier when I said there were some indoor windows here, this is it. Um, It may seem sexual and intent, but it's not necessarily that... um, We don't necessarily think that Naomi's the one prescribing this, that that she would go into this ungodly act, or anything of that nature. But she's giving terrible advice in the sense that she's telling this young woman from Moab, and Moab, people from Moab, especially women from Moab, would have been known to the Israelites for uh, mischievous people. Uh, they would have been harlots and things of the such that would have tried to come in and taken away people uh, into a different lifestyle. Um, and so in this story, Naomi's advice is terrible. She tells this woman that has already been looking at negative because of her race to go into a place where men were, not women. This wasn't a commonality place. This wasn't a common place. So she's telling this woman to really get pretty, to clean up, to adorn herself, to smell good, look good, put on her best clothes, and go and find her husband. To seek out her husband, to lift up his curb cover, lay it down at his feet, and lay there until he tells her what to do. Naomi's advice is much like her advice to Ruth whenever she was going into the field. It was one that was gonna put her in danger one that was going to put her in a a position that would make her look contrary to her character needless to say though ruth is this amazing woman that we've seen so far listens to her mother no matter what so in verse five you see that she does exactly what her mother-in-law says she says ed says and she will fight all that you say i will do so she went down to the threshing floor just and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Is Ruth making a dumb decision by listening to Naomi, or is Ruth just doesn't know any better? Is Ruth does she really know what she's doing here? We don't know, but we know according to who Ruth was and mainly throughout all of this story, she's not going in ill intent. Of, living in a way that she should not live. She's not going to do something simple with Boaz to convince him to marry her. You see that she's going in faith to find the husband or find the redeemer that she could rest in. Not at his feet, for a night, but for a lifetime under his provisions. So what we see here is Naomi gives this terrible advice. God uses it anyway. So let's continue the story. So the first thing we see in the title of this all is that we would rest in the Redeemer. That's exactly what we see going on here is that they're seeking out rest in the Redeemer. And before we look any farther, this is just a clear implication for us. It kind of opened up the service of this evening. Is that as we look at our purpose here at the Redeemer Church, um, the last part of that is to rest in Christ. And what we mean by that is that no matter what occurs in life, the difficulty, the hardship, the good, the bad, the ugly, no matter what occurs in life, but that we would understand rightly that we have been redeemed from the greatest, greatest need that we had, and that was our sinfulness. So no matter if I live a life of poverty alone forever, if Christ is redeeming me, then life is worth living. No matter the difficulties, the hardship, no matter the, the pain or the sorrow, No matter what, I can rest in Christ because He has redeemed and saved me from my greatest need. And that's what we're called to do as believers, is rest in Christ. Life is not easy. Life quite often is difficult and overbearing. But we have a Savior that provided salvation from something much worse than anything that could occur here in that. so, the first implication that we'll see in this text is just as Ruth is going to find rest in her Redeemer, we should live in such a similar way that we will try to find rest in our Redeemer. So let's see how we do that. Next, the first way we do that is by trusting in Him, by trusting in the Redeemer. And that's what we're gonna see here, is Naomi trust the Redeemer. In verse seven through nine, We see this proposal by Ruth, then 10 through 13, we're going to see this promise and process of redemption, then verse 14, the response of the redemption. Uh, So first and foremost, this proposal, now, um, this culture is different than ours in a lot of ways, but let me go ahead and tell my daughter that's in the room, my youngest son in here. Right now, I can't speak for 80 years or 20 years or 50 years when you decide to get married. Um, right now, it is countercultural for a woman to propose to the man, right? It's still counter-cultural. It's still different. Uh, I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. It's just counter-cultural. It's just not something that happens often. In this day and time, it was not only counter-cultural, but it was never heard of. It would have never been heard of. It would have been so odd that it would have been off-putting by a man in this encounter, especially one they're not even seeing each other. He's just been providing food for her. her. There's not a relationship here. There might have been some back and forth, but this isn't a society like ours. They're not eating at Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell or Harvey's or whatever it may be. They didn't meet in some random location and then continue to text or call each other. They may have saw each other in the field, but that was probably Ruth walks up and in does this thing. Let's look at what she does in verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was very merry I want to so pause there. It would be easy for us to take this text and understand and think that maybe Boaz had gotten drunk. That's why he says merry. This not the case. This is the end of the barley and wheat season and Boaz is the owner of the field. And so he's celebrating. He's joyous. He's happy. And he's ate food and he's drank his fill. He's spent time with people around him and now he's ready to rest. He's in a good mood. Um, the old adage is that away through the man's heart, the food is stomach. What's going on here? He's just in a good mood. It's like if I had a good burger and a good soda, right? He's just in a good mood. I just keep going. So he lies down at the end of the heap of grains. So then she came softly and uncovered his feet and they lay down at midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold, the woman lay at his feet he said who are you She answered i am ruth your servant spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer and that's what we're talking about there isn't it um but really what's going on here is they're at this threshing floor we don't understand this concept but the floor was essentially, it almost as if there was a restaurant style on one end, and on the other end is where they would take their harvest to be prepared to sell. They would, they would, you know, do everything that they needed to do to be shoved and all of that to be prepared to sell. And so most likely, Roas takes everything that he has uh, to be prepared to sell, and while that they're working on that, he's eating and drinking over the restaurant. And after it's all said and done, after his crop is done, after he's ate and had his it meal, it's the middle of the night. So what he does is he goes to the threshing floor and he sleeps beside the heap of his produce. He's protecting. He's keeping watch over it to make sure nobody comes in and takes it from him. And so he's laying down at this produce. Here it comes. Look. He's covered up in some sense or another. She lifts the cover. She lays at his feet. She's just laying there. I don't know she's sleeping. I don't know she's awake. I know she's laying at his feet. And it says he was startled. We don't know if maybe she did something. Maybe she brushed against his foot. Who knows what else, right? There's times that I wake up because there's a dog's tail beating on the front of my house. There's times I wake up because Lottie comes running in. There's times that I wake up because the, the fan hits him just right. You never know. Just He's startled here at this point. He wakes up. When he wakes up, he sees this woman laying at his feet. he starts to kind of break out a little bit. He says, Who are you? He's just generally confused. Who is at my feet? Maybe he thought somebody was stealing the food. Maybe he's just confused altogether. He's half asleep at this moment. I want us to realize this. He says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What it says, when she says, Spread your wings over your servant. It's not necessarily a proposal like we would think of, but she's not bidding down on one But she's saying, Look, will you redeem me? Will you redeem me and marry me and provide for me? So, the the line, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the threshing floor, the weirdest moment ever, she says, Look, will you marry me? Will you redeem me? Will you take care of me? This is that moment where if you were the guy, if you were Boaz, you would think, you're crazy. There's absolutely no way I'm gonna do this. But in verse 10, you see this process of redemption by Boaz. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord. This is the same language he used in the latter chapter. He said, my daughter, he said that in my letter, chapter 12. But my daughter, this is why we know that the windows of it being sexual in nature isn't true. Because this is a word of compassion. This is a love. This is a word for uh, heartfelt kind of love for her. It's not a sexual way of addressing her. He says, my daughter, it's kind of pointing back that he's, he sees her as one in me, not one that can be sexualized says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. What he means by that, is greater than the kindness that she showed Naomi by coming. He said, look, you approaching me in this way is more kind than what you have done right for Naomi. Why though? He says, you have not gone after a young man where the poor are rich. He says, and now my daughter, same language, said, this heartfelt way of addressing her, he says, "Look, you didn't come after a young man, or a poor rich man, or a poor man. You don't have to be an older man, not worthy, an older man not in a place to be to be married. Most likely, not going to be able to provide a child for her. <coughs> so he's he's taken back by." Her, her devotion towards him and how does he respond by saying fear not do not fear i will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman she hasn't been back here but a short season of barley and her harvest but the townspeople know that she's not like the other foreigners she's not like these other people she's different she is a woman of honor a worthy woman so he's like yes I will I would do as you say I will seek to redeem you if you pause the story there this sounds awesome this is the height of the story this is finally coming true all of her needs are being met to verse 12 now, then, know it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a deep redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, do it. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then the Lord, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until. In that. Is the character of Boaz coming out even? What I mean by that is There is an individual sexuality here because it's there. If Boaz and Ruth could have been just like anyone else in society, then we could have seen the story fall apart here. In the dark secretness of the night they could have fallen into sin and went about it the wrong way but that is not true redemption that is not true hope that is not true peace so instead we see that Boaz says don't fear I won't touch you I won't harm you I'm gonna do exactly as you asked me to do but there is someone closer than I and if he's not willing I will be more than willing now lay down and stay until the morning why Stayed until morning, but arose before one recognized another. He said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshold. at said, not, not so that he could sleep with her and treat her wrongly or sin against her and sin against the Lord. Because in her ignorance, the place in which she was, and the terrible advice of her mother-in-law, she found herself in a compromising position that would have ruined her the world that they were in him, and himself as well. So he says stay here until the morning and leave them. They're not hiding sin here, but they're making sure that their worth stays intact with the society they live in. Boaz was treating who was brought here after the terrible advice of the mother. See, this process of redemption and promise of redemption and response to redemption, is one that is built in great love, but most importantly, is one that is built in integrity. But what I have to say, look, I will redeem you, but look at her response. So she lays at his feet until morning. She doesn't say, up oh, and hey, leave, At the the notice of someone else being the redeemer. She doesn't leave trusting in someone else. She listens to Boaz, And she assumes that he will do exactly what he said he's going to do. If he is going to go and talk to the redeemer for her. And if he's not willing, then he will most certainly redeem her for himself. Ruth listens and trusts. the first way that we rest in our Redeemer by trusting in Him. That when He says that no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand, then we trust Him. When He says that He has redeemed and saved us from our sins because of our faith in Him, then we trust Him. That when he says, it's going to be okay, I know life is difficult, I know life is hard, then we trust that. Scripture tells us in Hebrews that we can make it through life because we have a great high priest that that can sympathize with us. And we trust it. We rest in our Redeemer in the fact that no matter what happens in life, we know that Jesus has us. The second way we trust in our Redeemer is that we do it in the already not yet. Hopefully, this will be much quicker than the last. It says this Two things we look at here is that Ruth updates of events to Naomi in seal of the promise. Ruth updates on events, she just tells them what happened, and hey, we see the seal of the promise. Verse 16. Six. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back to your mother, empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So Ruth comes back home to her mother-in-law, so she's still in need. She comes back to her mother-in-law's home, and she tells her exactly what happened. So different than when she went to the, the, the field to get food. She comes back and she just tells her mother-in-law exactly what happened. We see a small glimpse of God's provisions here, because once again, the news that she came back with was a news of goodness, not a news of terror. Just like when she went to that field, she could have come back with horrific news of some hard thing that she had done against, somebody had done against her. And just like then, when she came back from the court, it could have been horrific news of some horrific thing that someone did against her when she was at the wrong place at the wrong time. So, in God's providence for her, she comes back and she gives wonderful news. But in that wonderful news, we need to look back at verse 15 as we look also at also verse 18. And this is where we see the seal of the promise. Verse 15 verse, it said, bring me the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and measured, uh, six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city. Verse 18, she replied, wait, my dog. until you learn how the matter turns out. The man will not rest, but will settle this matter today. Naomi looks at Ruth, it says, just wait, this Boaz guy, he's going to settle this today. When we get to chapter 4, just going kind to of give your full shadow of what's going to happen. He does. He woke up, left the parish and report, and he goes out and he looks with a name, no name to man. He does exactly what he's supposed to do with this promise he makes to Ruth. In verse 15, I don't want us to miss this because remember what the word redeem means. Remini, redeem means to purchase or to buy back. And in verse 15, we see this almost this purchase-like attitude of Boaz, not for Ruth, not as this negative thing, but as a promise that he was going to come back after her. He sends her with this 80 pounds worth of barley. It, it, it's for her mother-in-law, as this promise, that we, we are going to figure this out. I am going to redeem and take care of you. I'm gonna provide for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that you are redeemed. If it's by this other man or if it's by myself, I'm gonna ensure that this happens, and this happens today. Naomi's changed here. She's a hardened heart here. She actually believes and trusts that this guy real Redeemer. She's trusting in a Redeemer per se. So let's be vulnerable for just one minute. How often in life do we feel like Ruth when she left that question? Broken, possibly? Confused? Because she thought Boaz was the redeemer, but now there's this other guy that possibly could. She knows she's about to be redeemed, but it's just not here yet. How often do we feel that? Way? We know Christ has saved us, but we live in a foreign world. We know Christ has redeemed his people, but we have people in, in Afghanistan right now that is most likely losing their lives to a terrorist organization that will kill them simply because of their faith. happens all over the place. We live in a post-Christian society that tells us everything but the word of God is true. We know that God is the God of the universe and the creator of all things and is sovereignly working out all things for his glory and our good, but in reality we don't see pictures of that often. Sometimes we just think and feel as if it's not going to happen. which can going to be vulnerable in this moment, often we know that we have been redeemed and we have been saved, but we feel like we've been left behind territories, behind enemy lines. The beautiful thing about it, the reminder to us so that we can rest in Christ, even in the difficult and hard moments. And I want you to, I want you to understand, I just not this. Um. I didn't read this that I read this morning because of this, but in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. plan out the scripture for the worship way before I get an application. So it's amazing that this worked out the way it did, but it did. What I want to see is that we've been purchased. Just like Naomi was given this down payment for Ruth by Boaz, we've been purchased by Christ, and being purchased by Christ, he gives us a seal of this promise as well the promise is something greater than any kind of barley, any kind of earthly provisions. It's greater than anything we could imagine, but it's God himself in the Holy Spirit form. So that no matter when life is hard or difficult, not only do we have this guarantee of the inheritance coming, eternal life, with God himself in the flesh until we possess it, we have this guarantee which is God himself that lives within us that also empowers us to make it through the day the way in which we rest in our Redeemer is first and foremost to trust what he says he says it's, he's going to do what he says he's going to do so we do it by trusting in him but we also do it by living in the reality of already not yet that we've already been saved but it's not yet fulfilled. it's about prayer and his Nick comes is that we would seek to rest in our Redeemer by trusting him while living in the already not yet state of our salvation that we would be brought much peace and comfort in the good and the bad, the easy and the hard and even if we war against sin in knowing that we're not left behind enemy lines but rather we have one that is still in our salvation that is greater than any enemy, we have ever or will ever face. Because he is the one that has come to send death and the grave and raise Christ from him. So let's rest in Christ by trusting him and living in the already not yet. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we pray now that you'd be glorified in all that we do. And we pray that this last song will bring you much glory and honor. your holy Thank you for listening to another podcast episode for Redeemer Church in Columbus, Mississippi. We hope this material has been beneficial.